Well, again, happy Father's Day, and also make sure you grab a hold of Dave and Sarah Murray before uh, we're at the end of the service <clears throat> before you leave, and uh, thank them again, and they'll be here one more week, like I said. Um, so my goal this morning is to give you some encouraging, challenging uh, words from God's Word, and then uh, get you out of here uh, so you can go celebrate uh, your dad, your father, and um, you know, I say this at Mother's Day and Father's Day, but um, whatever our relationship may have been with our father, uh, the one thing we can definitely celebrate is the fact that he gave, uh, was part of one of the people who helped give us life, right? I won't get into the whole details if you're wondering how that happened. Um, but they gave you opportunity for life. They gave you the opportunity to know who God is, uh, what he's done for you, through, and that's uh, the best gift um, you could possibly give it got a text from one of my brothers, and my dad's 95 years old, and his health is gradually going down, and <clears throat> um, so they were talking about, you know, end-of-life stuff, and he, he had a he had in his head a certain amount of money he thought he was going to leave each of his sons, and uh, it wasn't quite what he had, um, and so we were kind of laughing about, you know, that in our text, you know, just kind of talking about how dad, that's exactly how my dad is, you know, he's got to provide. Um, but my one brother said it best. He said, Dad's given us um, the greatest gift possible, and that is his life, which was a life dedicated to God. And then we got to see that. Um, we were around that, and it impacted all of us, us guys, five of us. Um, and we're going to be talking a little bit about <clears throat> that this morning um, in that sense. But uh, I also got one little favor to ask. I don't know if any of you guys go to the Sundance Drive-In. Uh, but if you do <clears throat> this summer, uh, look up on the big screen and uh, see if you see our little advertisement for Grace Point Church. Uh, we thought we'd do that. They actually contacted us and said, hey, you guys interested in doing that? And we said, yeah, let's do that. And so we put that together. But I want to make sure that it's actually dark enough to, you know, to see it. And not, they're not playing it when the sun's up. You know, if you've been to a drive-in. Okay, um, <clears throat> so thank you. I, I've only been to one; and it was for a concert. So uh, we didn't have them around us growing up. They they tore down and put up a parking lot. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I, don't know, I don't know where that came from. Uh, <clears throat> if you're a country music fan, you know what I'm talking about. Anyways, how many of you guys remember this little saying that you probably were told by your parents? Sticks and stones may break. My bones, but what? Names, words will never hurt me. Now, if that was being said to you, or somebody was saying stuff to you that was like a bully in the, in the recess yard, you know, which in our day we handled those things differently than evidently you do today, but that's besides the point. You know, we might not really care what they're saying to us. If somebody who we don't know says something to us, that might be hurtful, you know, usually that phrase, that little saying might work. But it's, it's really not true if what we're hearing from people, uh, negative things, hurtful things, are coming from people that we love, the people that we respect, that we admire, <clears throat> that we're looking to for approval or encouragement. It's not true for the words we tell ourselves, the conversations we might have in our own hearts and our own minds, continually hearing from somebody 
negative things or continually telling ourselves negative things. You're, you're an idiot. You're, you're a jerk. You don't belong. You'll never amount to anything. You're fat. You're ugly. I, I mean, growing up, I was told I was fat numerous times. And um, I remember seeing a picture of me when I was a, fre- a sophomore in high school. I actually had my shirt off, which I didn't do because I was fat. Um, and I looked at it. And I, this is later on in years. I saw this picture, and it's like, I actually got squares in my stomach. <laughs> How could I be thinking I was fat? Anyways, but when you're being told stuff over and over and over again, even in joking, it can, and, and if you're doing it to yourself, it could be crippling. It could, it could cripple your, your, um, your emotions, your, your mental state, your intellect even, and certainly your spiritual life. Or it may not even be words, verbal words, or not. it could be nonverbal. It could just be body language. People just kind of turn their back on you constantly, or when you're talking to them, them ignoring you. Maybe people who isolate themselves from you. So our, our words, whether they're verbal or, or nonverbal, they're powerful. If they're powerful, they could be in a positive sense, and they can be powerful in a negative sense. And so James is challenging us this morning from James chapter 3. It's, it's page 1209. You can go ahead and turn there if you're using the Bible in the chair there. It's page 1209. But he's, he's challenged us to consider the impact of our words. The words that we say to ourselves and how they impact us, the words we say to other people and how other people how it may impact them. And then coming off last week, we need to use it, those of us who claim to be Christians, who have placed our faith in Christ, we need to use it and to evaluate whether we truly are saved, have we truly placed our faith in Christ. Because again, the, the overriding truth in James was that our, our works don't save us, but our works show if we're saved. We talked a lot about this last week, the whole idea that justification is two definitions that the Bible uses, and one of them is being declared righteous by God through faith in Christ, and the other one is vindicating that, showing that to others through how we live our lives. And so do our words, do our responses to ourselves, to others, does it show that we truly understand what it means to have faith in Christ? Has it impacted our lives in a positive way? So James focuses on the tongue. In other words, he's talking about the words we use, the, the message that we send out to other people. But James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, uh, who is, is writing one of the original first books of the New Testament, or letters, he, he pulls a lot of what Jesus teaches. And I think it's important to understand that coming out of Matthew chapter 12, what Jesus taught there, because there's, there's something more than just our words. There's something feeding our words. <clears throat> so Jesus says this way, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. We get that, right? You know, if you, um, if you have an apple tree, it produces oranges, right? No, it produces apples, all right? Um, if you have a kiwi, so this is the example of bad. If you have a kiwi plant, it produces kiwi. That's the bad fruit. Anyways, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brutal vipers. Now, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. These guys who had taken whatever it was that he was having them teach in the Old Testament, and they've transformed it into this huge um, rules-based religion. And he's, he's saying to these religious leaders, the Pharisees, you brutal vipers, you snakes. How can you, being evil, he's saying at your heart, what you're teaching, who you are, you're actually evil. You're not a 
good person. You're not a follower of God, a religious leader. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So what fills our hearts? It's going to come out in what we say. The good man, the believer, the person who has placed their faith in Christ, brings out of his good treasure what is good. So there's an expectation that Jesus has and that, that the New Testament writers have that if you've placed your faith in Christ, so you're going to continue to know more about who he is and what he's done and who God is and what he's done and, and how that impacts your life. And you're going to fill up with that and it's going to spill out into your life. And the evil man, the, the non-believer, person who isn't trusting in Christ, will bring out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account or accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified. There's that word. And so we know talking about a good man as a person who has placed their faith in Christ, so this justified is vindicate. This is you don't get saved by the words you use. Your words will show whether you've placed your faith in Christ. It'll vindicate, show that you're correct in what you're claiming. And by your words, you will be condemned. It'll show that you're not a follower of Christ. And so what, what fills our heart, what fills our mind, what we think about life, what we think about people, what we think about ourselves, that will come out in what we say and what we think, both verbally and non-verbally. And so because of that, God says, hey, there's four things now back in James, there's four things about the tongue, about what we say, how we say things that we need to understand. And the first one is this, that we'll, we'll be reading about. Our words are powerful. They will control the direction of our life. And again, it's powerful, kind of neutral. So it'd be, it could be powerful, powerfully good, or it could be powerfully bad. It can make a good impact or a bad impact on our life, on other people's lives. Our words can be destructive is the second thing. We can destroy people's lives. We can destroy our lives. We can destroy other people's lives. Our words can't be tamed in and of ourselves. If we're trying to tame what we say, they, they can't, we can't tame them. We need God to help us with that. And then our words can be hypocritical. We can praise God and then turn around and curse others. So let's read what God has for us this morning. And again, I've said this each week, James is, you know, if you, if you want to grow a church, maybe you don't go through James, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> because James is like, you know, toe-stomping time. Every week there's something more, and we all go, oh man, i just just not doing it. Well, here's another one of those weeks, but hang in there. Because again, we don't have to be perfect. We just got to be moving towards what God wants for us. So let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment, that the teachers will. For we all stumble, now we all, all of us, not just teachers, but we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. So, uh, telling nine o'clock service, I remember I was in high school, we went down to this farm where we, where we used to hunt and fish, and the guy had a horse, it was a massive horse. Um, I don't know how many hands high. But anyways, it was a massive horse. And the guy's, hey, you want to ride it? I'm like, yeah, sure, you know. I can't, I've ridden horses, you know, on a trail with a little rope, you know. But anyways, so I get on this thing. And this is a, a word of warning. Just make sure you ask the owner, you know, how do you control it? Because I had it in my head how you're supposed to do it. You know, you let up on the reins and it'll go. 
and it, it won't necessarily run because the one at the zoo didn't, you know, or the farm didn't pull back and it'll stop. What he didn't tell me is if I pull back and up, it's going to rear up. So I let up, I let up on the reins, and I am flying down the road. This thing is flying. And I, of course, I'm thinking I'm going to die. So I figure, well, I'm just going to slow it up. So I pull back and up. And, uh, anyways. There's a whole rest of that story I'm not going to talk about. But anyways. So look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue. It's a small part of the body. And yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? No. That's what the the Greek structure of that sentence, the answer is no. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? No. Nor can salt water produce fresh So James starts out with this truth that words are powerful. They can control the direction of our lives. Again, it could be for good or it could be for for bad. And it's all depending on the one in control. He starts out first with a little free advice. And that is, by the way, since your words can really mess you up, don't want to be a teacher, especially a Bible teacher. He's kind of talking to the church here. So a person who teaches the Bible. So I just want to give that, because I know a lot of you guys are chomping at the bit to get up here every morning and, and teach, and, and I know that. And so I'm just saying, that just reconsider for a moment what it means to be a teacher, because then we can talk about it after you've taken time to pray and fast and do all that kind of you know, powerful spiritual stuff. And, and what are you saying? Well, we have, we're held to a higher or stricter judgment or a higher standard by God, because people who teach the Bible, a pastor like me, we talk a lot. I mean, you guys, I get paid by the word, right? You guys know that. So that's why I go so long on Sunday mornings. We're going to, you know, two, three o'clock this afternoon. I, I, a little overtime for me, but um, that's okay. I've got bills to pay. Um, no, we say a lot. And so when we say a lot, just in the volume of words we use, we could say something wrong. We could say something in, in a wrong attitude. I know I've seen it oftentimes, either intentionally or unintentionally, because there are some pastors out there who are teaching God's Word on purpose, wrongly. Um, And so, whether it's intentional or not, I've talked to people who have gone through teaching that is not biblical. I mean, the the conversation, I remember when I read this, the first conversation that comes to my mind is one where this family came to me, this is another church I was at, and they were... uh, they had been attending another church, and they had pretty much given up on God, but they thought, well, we're going to try one more time, so they came. And the reason why they left the other church is because they're constantly being told by the pastor that the reason why their son, who had a chronic illness, the reason why he wasn't being healed is because they didn't have enough faith. Well, that's a, 
that's a dangerous thing to teach somebody, especially when the Bible doesn't teach that. It's not about how much faith you have. And it's not even about the fact that if you have faith that God can heal, because we all believe God can heal. I know people personally who God has healed. God can heal. But sometimes he chooses not to. Why? Well, James tells us in James chapter 1, because going through various trials allows us to gain an endurance and become spiritually mature through that problem, through that difficult time, through that health challenge. And so sometimes God heals, sometimes he doesn't. But it's all for his glory and all for our growth. And so when I had that conversation with them, it was like, that makes so much more sense. And I'm like, well, I'm, it's not my idea here. So I broke down scripture for them. And I, oh, yeah. and, and thank the Lord was able to kind of give them some sense of peace and understanding about what God is actually teaching. Pastors can get irritated and frustrated with people at times. Um, you know, I, I've done it. <laughs> Talking with somebody, and, and I feel like, man, they should be getting this, and they're not getting it. And then I start getting a little bit worked up, a little bit frustrated. I can kind of frustrate somebody. I can kind of irritate somebody. Kind of hurt somebody. You know, there's, there's been times where people said, hey, you know, just shoot it straight, buddy. Just give it to me. I can take it. I can take it. And I'll be like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> You, know, you said I could do it, so I did it. And then, <laughs> he hates me. So, um, I mean, there's been times where they said, no, you know, just hit me straight with it. I, don't, I can handle it. So then I, try, I do, and then it's just like, jerk, I hate you. Anyways, so we're held to a stricter, a stricter level of, or higher standard by God. But James's larger point is this. We all can mess up in what we say and think, right? We all have illustrations of somebody hurting us with what they've said or us hurting others with what we've said. And so he, he says that, that only the perfect person can control their words and in controlling the words control their life. But here's the great news to that. And I'm going to spend most of my message on this first point. We can be perfect, biblically speaking. What that means is this. The word perfect there means to be spiritually mature. It doesn't mean to be perfection. It doesn't mean that you don't ever sin. But you're, you're spiritually mature. You're moving towards spiritual maturity. You're, you're understanding what Christ has said, what, what God said in his word, and you're continuing moving. You're not perfect at it. It's kind of up and down, but the, the, the direction of your life is is that you're moving towards becoming more and more like Christ, conforming to his images, what Paul talks about in Romans. And so that person, the person who is a spiritually mature person, who is moving towards becoming more and more like Christ, the good person that Jesus talks about in Matthew 12, that person can control not only their words, but also their life. And it's not them controlling it, because as we become more and more like Christ, it's God forming us and reforming us and transforming us into people who are able to control what we say and control our entire life. And so he uses the, the rider and the pilot or the captain, I mean, who, who are they're determining the direction of this, the powerful thing that they're controlling, whether it's a horse or a ship. And they're able to do that with this small little piece, a, a bit or a, a rudder. Now, they'll determine whether it's good or bad. You know, the horse rider, he could be, you know, getting cattle put into the corral, or 
he could be robbing a bank, you know. Back in the Western days. Not, not today they don't use horses in robbing banks, as far as I know. It would be kind of funny if they did. So then he says, the tongue boasts of great things. Now, it's kind of a weird phrase. Uh, scholars are trying to figure out what James means, because James only wrote one letter, and so they don't have a whole lot of things that he wrote. It's early on in Christianity, or the start of the church, and so he only uses boast one other time in, in chapter 4, and that means to, to boast in a sinful way, to think you're pretty awesome, that kind of stuff. But the Bible also tells us that we can boast about God, and again, focusing on God and saying how awesome he is, so we can boast in God. And so there's a debate going on, and so I'm just going to give you what I believe um, it's saying here, and what I think it's saying here, it's more of a neutral thing. It boasts of great things. In other words, the tongue can do a great thing. It can direct the, the direction of a life. It can control what happens in a person's life. Again, it could be good, it could be bad, but the tongue is able to do that. What we think to ourselves, about ourselves, what we say to other people, it, it could direct our lives. It could make an impact on whether our life is going to go in a negative way or in a positive way, in a, in a, a way of destruction or a way of growth. And so a, a non-believer's thoughts and words, because they're not centered on what God's Word says, or even a spiritually immature believer who's fighting it and not really wanting to do life God's way, their thoughts, their words, tend to go towards a, a hurtful and, and destructive way. And how that impacts someone's life is people reject those type of people, right? Nobody wants to be around somebody who's negative. Nobody wants to be around somebody who's very critical. And so those individuals, they can impact their life in a negative way. It can set their life in a, in a dangerous direction and become isolated and becomes a negative impact. The, to me, this truth is seen... Um, probably in a better way, at least in my experience and my dealing with people, and in the words that we tell ourselves. The, the, again, psychology calls it self-talk. I don't want to get into the psycho, psychological mumbo-jumbo. But the, this idea of how we talk to ourselves, what we tell ourselves about ourselves. And so we, we've read and heard what God has said so far in James 1 and 2, and God says, hey, you go, you know, when you go through difficult times, that's for your good. But the person who's not thinking that way. They, they'll tell themselves that it's a bad situation to going through and that God is doing something to hurt them and that they deserve to be going through this difficult time or whatever the case may be, but it becomes a self-focused, not looking at the situation, the struggle is what God says it is. And, and all of our difficult times are for us in order to grow spiritually and to know God more intimately and in how he works. God's willing to give us wisdom, but a person who's telling themselves the wrong thing and saying, well, God won't give me wisdom. God doesn't care about this. I don't need to be in God's Word. God's Word doesn't have the answers for me. And a person who's thinking that way, their life is going down a destructive route. Because when we think outside of what God says, when we start doing life outside of God's Direction. If we start responding to life that way, it's, it only brings destruction. But a spiritually mature person, a person who's saying, no, I'm going to do life God's way, no matter how imperfectly it might be, still moving in that direction, those people have people drawn to them. 
Because those people are typically a little more positive, and, or at least they're saying, hey, listen, I messed up there. Please forgive me, and I'm really working hard. Help me to do this better. And so there, there's this idea, of, man, people want to be around this person. People like this people, person. And so they, their life kind of goes in this positive, good, growth way. Or a person who's not thinking right, who begins to think the way God wants, and so he, he, he begins to work at and work at and discipline themselves to, to speak to themselves the truth of God's word. How, why difficult times are good for them, because God's going to use it for their growth, and that God offers them wisdom, and so I just need to ask for wisdom. And then God says, be in my word and study my word. So I'm going to be in his word and study his word. And that begins to move the person's life in the trajectory of growth. And so I want to tie this up real quick by going back to James chapter 1. I'm not going to read it. I just want to summarize it. So how does this happen? It can only happen if we do it God's way. Okay, so if you're sitting here today, this morning, and, uh, and you're battling with this stuff, whether it's how you're responding to others with your words and your response, or how you're responding to yourself, which by the way, how you respond to yourself will come out how you respond to others. James 1, 19-25 James has already given us the answer. That's why he doesn't give us an answer again, because he's already given it. And it's this, four things. One is you need to put aside. It's putting aside. It's making a commitment to not do that kind of thinking anymore. It doesn't mean we never do that thinking anymore or that responding anymore. It just means we're meant to, no, I'm not going to do it. And when we do it, we say, please forgive me of my sin. I really messed up to God and to the person. And then we do it again. We just get back on a horse. And we just keep on riding. And then while we're doing that, at the same time that we're doing that, we're also humbly receiving the word implanted. What's that? That's the gospel. That's the fact that when we place our faith in Christ, God gives us, not only forgiveness of our sins, but he places his Holy Spirit in our lives. Not that we become God, not that we become one with God in the sense of, you know, it's this weird nebulous thing that we join. No, God's residing in us, dwelling in us in a sense of empowering us and teaching us and giving us understanding. So we, while we were saying, no, I don't want to do life that way, I want to do life God's way, we, we receive the word implanted. We let it grow in us. Which is, brings the second one, or third one, as to look intently. He says, to look intently at the perfect law. Study it. Investigate it. Not just say, <laughs> and then be done, but it's literally break it apart. Study it. I was talking with Kim, and she was having a conversation with somebody today. They were saying, man, I've just been really studying God's Word in this one area of their life, and man, what a difference it's making. <laughs> yes! It's awesome! Because that's exactly what it is. It's amazing what God does in our lives when we start actually studying His Word, breaking words down and sentences down, and spending some time with it. It's just amazing because that's God working in us. And then we need to abide by it. And that, abide means to kind of plant yourself next to. We need to live it out. So those are the things we need to be doing in our lives. When we do that, we're going to see that we're going to think differently about who we are because God's going to be changing our thinking on that, which then also will help us in our response to other people, which then brings us a, tra- a trajectory of our life that is not towards destruction but for growth and impact. But sadly, if left to ourselves, if we don't seek God's help and control, then there's three things that take place, and we're going to kind of race through these this morning. Because I think we all get this. So the first one is the tongue is destructive. If left to ourselves, we move in a negative direction. We 
we will bring destruction both to our life and to other people's lives. Why? Because our words are a fire. I mean, just think of the last argument you had. Starts out small, right? And all of a sudden it gets heated and heated and boom! Or think of the last time you had that struggle in your own mind about who you were and who God says you are and what you should do about it. It's small, but it's a world of iniquity. We've got to get, we get a real grasp on who we are in and of ourselves, that our, our hearts are sinful. They're, they're depraved. There's no spiritual life in them unless God gives us that spiritual life. We talked about it week two, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Us thinking that we know better than God doesn't cut it. We don't. And we've got to understand that. We've got to thank God for that because then God gives us the direction we need to go. The, the sin, or what we say defiles, stains, it soils our entire body. When we think wrong, we respond wrong. When we respond wrong, it causes our bodies to do wrong. It says, set on fire by hell. Now, what's James talking about here? Because he's not pulling any punches, right? He's, he's real serious. He's talking to Christians here, right? He's like, hey, listen, this is a serious business. We're representing Christ, even our words. So it's set on fire by hell. What does he mean by that? He's not saying, oh, Satan made me do it. We can't go, oh, sorry, I said that, but Satan did it. <laughs> no, it's, it means that when we think that way, when we do life our way, we're acting just like Satan did. Because Satan says, I know better than God. I want to be God, and I know better than God. Well, that's sin, that's pride. And so anytime we say, God, you don't really know, when, when you... When you say what you say in your Bible, and then I don't do it, we're saying, I know better than you, God, as to what I need to do for life. I get it. What God calls us to do in life, it looks weird to other people. Believe me, I 100% get that. But doesn't it look weird that the God of this universe would put on flesh, live a perfect life, die on a cross, and rise again? Doesn't that seem weird? <laughs> but he did, because that's what needed to happen. And so we do life God's way. He knows what life is supposed to be. And so it's set on fire by hell that when we do life our way, when we think we know better than God, whether it's our marriages, our families, our work, or whatever it is, he's saying, man, it's just, you're acting just like Satan acted. And so our, our words destroy, can destroy our lives. They can destroy um, our lives in a sense of how other people respond back to us. It can... Um, it really can destroy our lives and, and the words that we say to ourselves. I mean, isn't that what depression is all about? Now, I talk about this a lot because I, I fight it all the time. So depression is at its core. Okay? At its very core, a person who's depressed and, and anxious, and there's, a, there's a, um, a disconnect between what God's Word says and what we believe. And so in my head... I think I know better than God at to whatever it is that's causing me to be sad and down and frustrated and, and irritated. And so I have a responsibility. I can either live in that or I can say, no, God's, God knows better than me. And so I'm going to do what God's Word says. And so I'm going to spend that time in God's Word. It means I need to be in God's Word for four hours. I'm going to be in there for four hours. When I have high blood pressure, which I do, which maybe you tell I do, if it, when my blood pressure is up, I need to take more medicine. Well, same thing when it comes to the core of who we are as an individual. If we're battling with that kind of stuff, then God's Word has the answer. 
God has the answer for us. And we need to be in his word. He's calling out in, his, in, in the Bible, hey, I got the answer. Spend time with me. Let me. And then it's not an instantaneous healing. It's, it's a gradual growth and understanding and God giving us more and more insight. That wisdom that James talks about in chapter 1. Again, the words, our words can destroy our own lives. I'm not talking about cancel culture here because that's just ridiculous the stuff that's going on, but I'm talking about personal relationships and the impact that happens because of those things that we say that actually impact us and our lives. And of course, it destroys the life of the person who hears it. You know, one of the things that I'm constantly reminded of as I talk to new believers especially is that they've lived a certain way for so long that they... They, they can't see that there's hope. So they come to Christ because, okay, I'm going to give God a, a chance here. But the baggage that they have, the way they think about themselves because of what's gone on in their lives and the things that were said to them over the years, the baggage is strapped onto them with like chains, steel chains. And they just can't seem to wrestle out of it. And so the words that we say to other people, the things that we, the way we respond to other people, we can put on them baggage that the, that they have to carry, especially if you think about parents to kids, we can say things to them. We can respond to them in a way that just puts baggage on them. So as they get, become adults, they're carrying that, and they're carrying it to the next relationship, relationships, the families that they have. But there's great hope in turning to God and to how God wants us to do His life. And we just got to hang in there and do it consistently and watch Him change. So it's powerful, tongue's destructive, it's untamable. Left to ourselves, we can't tame it. We tame everything else, but we can't tame our tongue. Why? Because it's a restless evil. It means it fights against restraint. Our own hearts, left to ourselves, you guys, it's going to fight against us wanting to turn to God even and do life God's way because our, our sin is that bad. And so it's going to fight against that. It's unpredictable. But when we fight with God and God gives us the strength and the understanding and the wisdom and the power, we begin to see those chains break. We, we, we begin to see our, our tongue being able to be tamed. We don't say the things we used to say. We don't say them the way we used to say them. We don't think the way we used to think. And pretty soon our life, life gets moving back into in, in, a, in a godly direction, a healing direction. And so if you're fighting with it, keep fighting. The fact that you're fighting means that you're in it. If you don't fight anymore, that means you've given up. So keep fighting. Keep going to God. Keep battling. And the last one is this. Our words can be hypocritical. We, we come on Sunday mornings, right? And the music's great. And we're singing like crazy. And our, man, we're just so encouraged. And then what do we do? We get in the car and we start yelling at everybody. And we start... We get to the restaurant and we're giving a waiter or waitress a hard time or we yell at the guy who's driving in front of us because of the way he's driving. And so we praise God and then the next moment we're cursing others, the ones who are created in the image of God. We praise God on Sunday morning and so awesome we get home and we start denigrating and kicking verbally our spouses or our kids or kids to the parents. We get to work on Monday and we start chewing out our coworkers or see our neighbors or our boss, whatever the case may be. And, and James says, listen, it ought not be this way. It's a strongly worded command. It's only used here in the entire Bible. 
but it's a strong, it absolutely should not be part of a Christian's life. This kind of thinking, this kind of responding should not be. He goes on and talks about the fresh water, the bitter water, the fig tree, the olives. You know, these different plants don't create different fruits. They are what they are. And so as a Christian, who are we? We're changed. We're no longer who we were. We are a child of God. We have God's Holy Spirit in us. And so a heart of a Christian expresses the heart of Christ. We see everybody the way Christ sees them. Either as a child of God or a person who's going to hopefully become a child of God. As Christ went to the cross to sacrifice for each one of us, we sacrifice what we think or what we want to do and we respond the way God wants us to respond. You know, I, I don't think any of this information is new, especially if you sat in church for any length of time. And we also know it's not true because, like I said at the beginning, we've hurt other people with the way we've responded to them. We've been hurt by other people and the way they've responded to us. We who deal with negative thoughts all the time and, and these darker thoughts all the time, we, we, we get it. But the question is, what's going to be our response? And so, for our takeaways, just got something to consider this morning. So the first one is this. What do you consistently tell yourself about yourself? If you're a person like me, who's, you know, I'm, I'm Mr., I'm a frustrated perfectionist. So I did some trim work in the house yesterday, and Hagen came over, and I said, hey, you see the trim work I did over on here? Put a new countertop on and put a little, little, little fancy, fancy trim work on the side. And he goes, so I said, did you see the trim? And he says, oh, so what are you going to show me that's wrong with it? That was the first words out of his mouth. Why? Because he knows whenever I do work around the house, I go, hey, you see what I did? And they'll be, oh, yeah, it looks nice. Yeah, but then, and, and then I describe to everybody what I've done wrong. My family just hates this, by the way. <laughs> Somebody will come over, oh, Harold, really, man, what you did in the house, that was really good. Yeah, thanks. But do you notice how the not is coming through the paint. I'm going to have to take care of that. I don't know why I do it. I just do it. It's, you know, love me for who I am. Satan made me do it. No, just kidding. Um, so what, do you, what is it you tell yourself about yourself? And if you're a person who continues to tell yourself negative things, wrong things, contrary to what the Bible, what God says about who you are, let me just challenge you to take God's offer to intently study his word and find out what God really thinks of you. He died for you. That alone should cause us to go, okay, if you died for me, then I want to know what you think of me. If you, if you think that much of me, you love me that much, then I want to know and I want to live by how you think of me and what you say about me. Not because of who I am and in, my, in and of myself, because of what God's going to do in our lives. Secondly, what are those in your life hearing from you? What's the continual message that you send out? And maybe the best way to do that is to ask. Do they see you as a positive, encouraging, hey, look to God type of person? Or are you a person that is critical? And, and again, I'm, I'm speaking to myself here, who's critical, can see all those things. When, when we were raising kids early on in our life, I had... Kim had to sit me down and say, here, listen, you got to be a little more positive. You're telling the kids everything wrong that they're doing, but you're not telling them anything right that they're doing. Well, 
That's kind of how I was raised. I thought that's the way you're supposed to do it. There's the baggage. And so I had to humble myself and say, you know, Kim, had, Kim might be right here. And so I, it, was, it, was, it was hard. It was tough to be able to look at my kids and say, you know, when you painted that wall, looks great. And then they go to bed and I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I get it, it's tough. But commit to respond in your own heart and mind to yourself and to others in the way Christ wants you to, in an encouraging way, in a positive way, in a helpful way, no matter how they might respond back. And lastly, men, it's Father's Day. We're the, we're the ones who are supposed to set the spiritual environment for the home. If you're married, especially men, you are your wife's only boyfriend. You are your daughter's first boyfriend. And now you are your son's lifelong best friend. What you say and how you say it in your home has drastic impact, powerful impact on the direction that your, life, your children's life takes. You can crush them with certain words over and over and over again. So when they become adults, their life is filled with baggage. Or you can correctly, lovingly, with encouragement, positive things. I'm not saying you never discipline. I'm not saying that. But there's a way to discipline in a godly way. There's a way to bring constructive criticism in a way that helps a person grow. You need to know your child in order to do that. We didn't discipline our three kids the same. I, I was raised in a home where we discipline, my parents disciplined us all the same. We learned who our child was, and we disciplined each of them differently. Kim's idea, by the way, not my idea. So take time, dads. Take time with your kids in God's Word, talking about God's Word, bringing God's Word to the dinner table, and in prayer, and start bringing this spiritual environment to your home so that you can launch your kids when they're adults, those who are free and obeying God, free of baggage, and are going to do life God's way. That's our responsibility, dads. I'm telling you, I've seen dads crush children, and I've seen the impact that's made in their lives. And I've seen dads who've encouraged and strengthened and helped in what's going on in that child's life. And there's a marked difference. Let's go ahead and stand, and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your, um, your willingness, first and foremost, to, to come, God the Son, and put on flesh and to die for us, that you sacrificed all for us. And then, Lord, thank you so much for the fact that you give us very clear instruction in your word on how we're supposed to do life. It's, it's not easy for us to humbly follow you to, to do what you want us to do, but you know that. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your patience with us. But, Lord, help us and motivate us and encourage us, those who are followers of Christ, 
to do life your way, to trust you that you know the best way. We'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again. Don't forget, grab like about 15 different cupcakes and on your way out because I am not taking those home.